Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The kick ahead, and Dufty's chasing it. of the game. St. George, Illawarra to the death, trying. Brown goes to the air. Going back is Mabel. Sleeping high and taking it in marvellous fashion with Rod Wishart. He has scored an incredible drive that ties this small game up. Bartram from 18 metres out. He strikes it nicely. St. George, Illawarra win for the first time in their premiership line. Here's Nathan Blacklock. Down the sideline, chipping over the top of John Kane. Got a red surface bounce to win the game for the Dragons and book himself a New South Wales Blues origin jump. Good evening, folks, and welcome to episode 145 of the Red V Podcast, your home of everything St. George Illawarra. Jack Clifton and Curtis Woodward with you over the next hour or so to talk through all of the latest drama and different news that's happening around the mighty St. George Illawarra Dragons. A little bit later on, we'll be chatting with Jeff Armstrong, the author of the Spirit of the Red V books. We spoke with Jeff last year when part one was was completed, detailing the early history of the St. George Dragons all the way up at, uh, to uh, those incredible 11 premierships in a row and the dominance of the 50s and 60s. And looking forward to chewing the cud uh, with Jeff uh, about uh, the second book that has already been released in all good bookstores uh, detailing the history of 1967 or 1968 onwards all throughout the the 1970s and 80s the Super League crisis of the 90s and and culminating with uh, that Dragons Premiership win in 2010 and uh, the current day as well so hope you do enjoy our chat with Jeff a little bit later on in the podcast. Also uh, tackle your fans quarter questions and have another Who Am I here on the Red V podcast Curtis Woodward is on the line ready to chat everything St. George Illawarra. Kurt, it's been another week full of, of, of rumours and Dragons news and the Dragons, uh, either management or board or someone seemingly putting their, their foot in their mouth and, and, and I guess dragging the club over the coals once more. What have you made of the last week since we've spoken about the Dragons here on the podcast, mate? 
Oh, it's taken over my life, Jack. Uh, good <laughs> afternoon, mate. Uh, yeah, no, it's um, another interesting week for the St. George Illawarra Dragons, and, and we are going to get into it. Um, it's just, um, you know, when like I've said a couple of times, when, when you start to invest a little bit more time and, and kind of, you know, you scroll through the news cycles in the morning and you, and you kind of see a Dragon story headlining, you go, oh, I've got to read it now. Mm. And, uh yeah, it's some, some interesting things happening, but um, you know, some some real positives too for the club, particularly with um, players reneging on um, releases and stuff like that. So there are you know some good things happening, one way or another. The club is being proactive with with several things, but but again, you've just got to shake your head at um, at uh, the Craig Young stuff, and um, I'm sure we'll get to that in a second. But another week, um, and and you know, like you said off air, it, it seems that once the the media you know, gets their teeth into one club that they certainly squeeze it for every last drop of blood that, that they can get out of it. So this is happening right now to the Dragons. Hopefully we're at the back end of it, but it seems that, that there's there's still a lot of things to, to, to happen, I think, at the club, which I said last week. So we'll see what happens, but got to get through this podcast first. You're a um, you're a sucker for punishment, aren't you, Kurt? I was um, I was on the League Unlimited uh, forum, so a big hello to some of the loyal fans we have there that listen to to the podcast. It's it's great, all, all sorts of forums um, uh, talking rugby league, and I know the Dragons one is full of uh, people that are, that are keen. And there was uh, one of the users there when the Saints said um, was asking why why Kurt was doing this. The poor bugger already follows the West Tigers. Absorbing the Dragons might just top him <laughs> off. So um, you you really you really have put yourself through the ring. But we appreciate it because uh, we are really enjoying uh, having Kurt on the on the podcast each week and um, a great footy brain and, and great talking about uh, talking about the dragons and great for for me and me and Kurt as well from from I guess our early days of linking up on and still sports covering New South Wales Cup it's it'd been a while between drinks so it's um, yeah great yeah. for us to to get a chance to, to talk footy um, each and uh, every uh, Tuesday afternoon but let's uh, jump into all of that latest news about the dragons there's plenty of it and uh, we're going to kick off with all the latest with Craig Young. Well, it was the news that floored Dragons fans. I think they probably thought it couldn't get much worse uh, than uh, what it, I guess, transpired in in the the few previous weeks, and and then mid last week. I think it might have been Wednesday or Thursday. Um, I was out uh, commentating. The Sheffield Shield was trying to keep half an eye on uh, New South Wales crumbling against Queensland with a bat, uh, as well as trying to keep one eye on 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 social media and and, and what was happening with all of the stuff that 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 came out with with Craig Young. For for those that maybe living on a rock or, or want to have a, a recap um, obviously a close family friend of the Finches and, and Brett Finch going through all the stuff that he's going through um, and the, what the the, uh, the the child sex uh, stuff that's going on I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into that I'm not gonna don't want to get myself in trouble don't want to get the podcast in trouble but regardless there's some uh, alleged um, crimes that, that are happening with him and, and Craig Young basically came, has come out and and given him a personal reference which I have no problem with if he wants to give a personal reference that's his prerogative um, but I think to do it on the dragons letterhead um, and, and on an official dragons document is absolutely disgraceful uh, and think he's very very fortunate to still be the Dragons. If if I and many other fans had their way, Kurt, I think he would be the first man at the door. He's obviously been a great servant for the club and maybe that's what's saving him at the moment. Um, but this was 
at at the very best, uh, a very short-sighted uh, and silly thing to do. And at worst, this uh, has continued to drag the dragon's name through the mud. Um, again, I guess attached us kind of indirectly to Brett Finch and everything that's going on there. Uh, a very short-sighted decision. Um, and, and you wonder, someone that's been involved in rugby league so long, someone that's the chairman uh, of the board, how they could make such uh, a poor case in judgment of, of what's happened over these last four or five days. What, what What's your take on it, Kurt? Well, you, you talk about being under a rock. I kind of, I kind of missed the whole thing. I've been up in in um, uh, in a state up in Redcliffe, kind of up until Monday night, so Monday morning. Sorry, so I, I've kind of just had to go back through and I've read all the posts and 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 it's not just one one um, you know mistake there from from Craig Young. The first one is that he's actually got the letterhead out. The second one is written it. And the third one is he signed it as the chairman of the club. So the, the, and, mm. and, and, and it wouldn't have been like a, a five-minute job. That that would have taken some time to word it the way you wanted to, et cetera, et cetera. He had plenty of times to think, is this a good idea? Um, and the club didn't it, even know about it, Kurt. I think, that's, I think that's the other thing. I don't think anyone else, board or, or whoever, the, the, the kind of head honchos at the club, I don't think anyone else knew about it. So I'm not saying that Craig Young did it secretly, but the fact that he's kind of done it without the, without the blessings of, of other people at the club, I think makes it even worse. And he's, he's not a dumb fella. I mean, no. like, I know he's a front rower, but he was a, a, a mighty fine police detective in his time as well, I understand. So... He, 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 of all people, surely he knew what he was doing. Um, I understand he's known Brett Finch for a long time and he obviously um, grew up with, with Brett's dad as well, um, who was a former player of the club, former referees boss, I think, mm. as well. Yep. Um, it's difficult to even understand how he could use the letterhead, knowing that Finch, or, or giving a character reference, knowing how far in, in, into this we already are with Brett Finch, who has already been caught doing what he's done. Yeah. You, you can't get your head around it. This is a bloke that has been caught sending sick messages to pedophiles about little little kids. I mean, drug addiction or not, he still said those things. He's been caught saying those things. So for Craig Young to, to sit there, he had plenty of chances when he was writing that. Um, and, and the letterhead's one thing, but to also sign it at the bottom as the chairman of the club too, uh, that, that there's no going back. Like, this I mean, Richard Nixon couldn't get out of Watergate, and he was the president of the United States of America. Mm. Surely the, he doesn't have a leg to stand on now, Craig Young. And, and maybe he knew that going into it, and maybe this was his badge of honor kind of thing for his for his old mate and, and his his mate's son. But there's no going back from this. I, I, there's no way he can keep his job in this day and age doing that because it wasn't just, a, oh, you know, I kind of stuffed up. This is a premeditated letterhead wrote it out, signed it as well as the chairman of the club. So, yeah, and your thoughts? Yeah, I just I thought it was a really dumb, really dumb decision. Um, yeah, uh, probably echoing the, the sentiments that you have, Kurt. Uh, yeah, just it, it wasn't well thought out. Um, had plenty of times to to kind of, yeah, pull pull the pin on that. Um, and I, I think it probably is is evident that the, the club is kind of in in a struggling shape when you've, you, if that's one of the decisions that, that a chairman is going to make, you wonder what are some of the other decisions that are being made at board level and at meetings and, and backing different coaches and that kind of stuff. So uh, I kind of want to move on from it, but it's, yeah, I think it's very, very disappointing. And um, it's, it's, 
the fan, like, and it's the fans as well. Um, like I know Matt Cooper's come out in in recent weeks and he savaged the club, but it's the it's the fans are the ones that that I wouldn't say are culpable, but are the ones that kind of bore the uh, bear the brunt of 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 guess the the media feed like um like the media feedback and the fact that other fans are kind of rubbishing the dragons on social media. You never want to see that, but you just got to. There's no excuse for the behaviour of some of the the people at the club, whether it be players or coaches or people in administration. So it's just very very disappointing. It just seems to be kind of choked off air, didn't we? That like, well, what's the next thing that's going to happen? Are we going to still going to be talking about issues with the dragons in the podcast in the week leading up to Christmas? It's just so so frustrating to see them uh, make dumb errors uh, week after week after week. The, the the season's been long gone for the Dragons. They finished their season in in late August, early September. So it's been it's been six weeks since the season's finished, or eight close to eight weeks since the season's finished, and we're still kind of talking about issues that um, we thought we'd probably get a break for. At least that's what we thought on the podcast. So yeah, very very disappointing to to see the way that's that that's really played out. And and uh, to be honest, I, I just I think his his role and now he's he's not the chairman. That there's a change over there, and I find it very convenient that it's on a rolling twelve month basis there. But I just think he's whatever role he'll take on the Dragons. I just think it's untenable. I don't think you can have someone like that in the club. And I think so. So is, is he on his way out anyway as the chairman? Yeah. So the the I'm not sure if I'm if I'm articulating articulating this correctly, but from what I understand of kind of the rules of the board and the way the club is run is they have um, different people as chairman every 12 months. I didn't think it was 12 months. I thought it was three years, but then it was reported the other day that it is 12 months. So um, yeah, he's kind of conveniently on his way out. I think his his tenure was going to finish around November or December. So um, yeah, but I, I wouldn't be having him in any 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 position. I wouldn't have him running the drinks at the Dragons if, if, that, if that was an option, Kurt. Well, and that's the other thing too then, that if he knew he was finishing up, I mean, is that a lack of respect from Craig Young to mm. the club itself and saying, oh, we'll stop it, who cares? Like, you know, yeah. I'll do what I want. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, not good, not good. And a bit of a uh, bit of bright news for the Dragons. You may have seen on social media over the last 48 hours or so. Uh, the club has signed brothers Sione and Halle Finau uh, from the Melbourne Storm system. They're playing up at the Brisbane Tigers, formerly the East Tigers, up in the Queensland Cup competition. Um, so Halle is uh, he's a hooker. He was actually playing halfback for the Melbourne uh, under-20 side um, when uh, uh, in the last couple of years. But he is a very good number nine. Uh, smart footwork, can find the try line, a really good service out of dummy half. So he had some much needed depth and stock into the Dragons at number nine position. And then you've got Sione, who's an outside back, can play wing or centre. Uh, very powerful and very quick outside back. So I think that's a couple of really shrewd signings by the Dragons. I know uh, fans are probably going to complain and whinge that, oh, well, if, if, Mel- if Melbourne didn't keep them, Melbourne couldn't keep them, how good are they really going to be? And I guess that's a, that's a fairly fair argument, but I think anytime you can get some young players in the club and, and, and some, some fresh blood from another system, they can um, bring up skills and techniques they've learned at, at, either at Melbourne or at, um, at the Tigers, the, the Brisbane Tigers. I think that's, that's beneficial. So, so welcome to, to the brothers joining the Dragons. Dragons and, and hopefully um, we see them in some capacity, whether that be in the New South Wales Cup system for the Dragons or whether they get an opportunity to play first grade. I believe with Halle, it was, I think it was going to be um, a, a contract a couple of years for, for him and he would be part of the top 30 in 2024. So we may kind of see both of them playing lower grades, but I think it is exciting the fact that they've been able to pick uh, pick them up. And I, I guess the other thing, Kurt, is when you're in the position the Dragons are in, you haven't been successful on the field, you've been even less successful off 
the field. You're not going to be able to attract a, a James Tedesco or a Cameron Munster or a Nathan Cleary, obviously. So sometimes you've got to kind of delve into the, the second tier competitions, whether that's the New South Wales Cup or the Queensland Cup to, to try and bring, bring players. And I guess it's you're kind of throwing crap up against the wall sometimes and, and just seeing what sticks with some players. Yeah, then again, I but well, and, and I've said this before as well. It, it, like I know it's an example. Like obviously, everyone wants a Tedesco or Munster or or wherever it might be in their system, but that chews up so much of, of your salary cap, particularly when the Dragons are starting or trying to regenerate their their roster and have got all these kids that they're they're trying to keep. And and it's great. And we're going to get to that how they've mm. um, turned around and said no, we're we're not asking for releases now. We've spoken to the club, we're, we're being positive, et cetera. So I'm going to be positive here and say this could work out really well. They're development players that could turn into um, legitimate first graders. So the Dragons, while they, they need to fill a couple of positions with quality first graders to, to fix up their, I guess, their, their top 20 for next year, um, you know, you've always got to keep an eye on the future as well. So um, I've got nothing bad to say about, about these signings. Um, far better for them to to um, you know do a little bit more research and kind of invest in some kids from you know from different areas and bring them through. Um, I saw some positive stuff about them. You know, some of it came from their managers or whatever today in, in the media. But um, you know, I, I think it's good. I think it's good. I, I, I think the Dragons they've still got a lot of, of boxes to tick mm. when it comes to what they look like now and what they're going to look like in six months. But You've got to start somewhere, and I think they're doing the right thing by not necessarily going to market for the the, the biggest names because I, I just don't think they could. You know, do, do we really want to see the Dragons in a position in eighteen months where they've, you know, put all their eggs in one basket and spent a fortune on some bloke that's, you know, may or may not work out for them? So, it, to me, it looks like the Dragons are starting to. They've almost got a goal in mind, and they're like, okay, we, we need to be a development club. And, and bring our own juniors through. I, I can almost see that now. Mm. So it's a good thing. It, it's positive. Some good young kids coming through. Um, apparently they've got some talent as well. And, and at least it, it looks like the Dragons are trying to be proactive in, in that area. Yeah, there has been a change in list management as well. We don't know who signed signed the brothers, but uh, one person that is more than likely not going to be at the Dragons is Shane Flanagan. A lot of media reports have reported that he's uh, signed a three-year deal with Manly. The Dragons, uh, as of uh, lunchtime today, uh, still hadn't confirmed that Flanagan had left, but I I wouldn't think the Dragons would stand in front of uh, Shane Flanagan and taking an assistant coach um, uh, deal with the fact that I think that's a little more prestigious than a list management um, job and probably hasn't been able to do a, a great job with the Dragons if you, if you kind of look at the players obviously hasn't been in that role for that long but you look at the players who have been brought in it's, it's probably nothing to, to jump up and scream about so he's looking like he's going to be one of Anthony Seabold's assistants although apparently it is going to be written into the contract that he could leave after a year if a head coaching role did open up um, elsewhere so um, yeah the, in regards to him leaving opens the door for, for a bit of an old son that the Daily Telegraph reporting that Nathan Brown could have on his way back to Cogra and Wollongong he coached the Dragons between uh, 2003 and 2000 2008 and of course played uh, with them between 1993 and 1999 of, of course playing that or 2001 pardon me playing those first few years of the of the joint venture um probably hasn't had the success not that you would say he had success at the dragons but i guess when you look at his win-loss record and, and making semi-finals and grand final qualifiers it was an element of success there under under nathan brown as a coach probably hasn't had the success elsewhere um kurt uh, in head coaching roles um 
I know he had some success over in the UK with with Huddersfield and, and different things like that. And he even came out earlier this year after he left the after he resigned from the Warriors and left the Warriors and said that kind of effectively felt that his his head coaching career was done, but you'd like to be be involved somewhere else in the club. Could you see him being a, a decent list manager for the Dragons? And and if you put your, yourself in the shoes of a Dragons fan, would you be happy for a, for a Nathan Brown returning back to Cogra? I, this is a weird one to me, I, and, and and even the word list list manager. I mean, is 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 that? Where, I don't know where that's come from. Is this? That's not rugby league rugby league t- mm. terms, is it's it? AFL. No, AFL, isn't it? It's just strange. But anyway, uh, yeah. Look, I would think that retention and contract extensions should fall to the coach. Agreed. Um, but then the dragons are struggling through some uncertain times. Is a roster manager? I, can't make myself say list manager. Is, is a roster manager kind of a stopgap and kind of a buffer that the Dragons are putting up between themselves and Anthony Griffin? Um, to me, Nathan Brown's a pretty big character. And if, if Anthony Griffin's still going to be there for at least another 12 months, Brown's, uh, like you said, he's a legend of, of the, the Dragons club. He's a legend of, uh, legend of St. George Illawarra in the sense that he was one of the founding players when they merged and then coached the team, like you said. How is he going to go reporting to a head coach? Because at the end of the day, that's what you'd like in a perfect world. Um, I see a roster manager as something a little bit more like Moneyball, where you've got you know someone you know that's that's not going to sit there and just has a feeling because he's mm. an old football head. Is, is Brown going to be able to report to someone like Anthony Griffin? I mean, the, if you remember, again, the Dragons did the same thing with Paul McGregor. They they hired, I think it was Ian Millwood. As, as a yep. retention guy or, or looking after the yeah. roster. And, mm. and journos would ask Paul McGregor, he'd say, hey, Paul, what's happening with this or that? And he goes, no, I don't know. Go and ask Ian Millwood. That, that's, yeah, to me, it's just, it, it, it's it's splitting hairs and kind of putting, you know, betting both ways. So I don't know about this. It's, I'm not going to say it's a job for the boys because I think there, there truly is an art form in, roster management and the Americans in, in their sports are so far ahead of particularly rugby yeah. league and NRL. I mean, I just scratch my head sometimes at not just the coaches that get recycled, but, um, you know, player options and, you mm. know, contracts and all these different things. We're so far behind. It's like the stone age in, in rugby league when it comes to contracts per se and, and um, just kind of, you know, putting – the business and, 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 you know, investing in players and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I, I It's a really weird one to me. I, I don't see how that could work long-term, whether Anthony Griffin is the head coach or not. But I, I would like to think if you are coaching a first-grade team, you would like you would want to be the guy that makes the decisions on who comes to the club because you'd like to know mm. – you'd like to think as a coach you, you're confident in, in what type of player can help you succeed. I mean, yeah. Why add why – add, more muck to the water. It's, mm. yeah, to, to me, it's just, it's weird. I will say about Nathan Brown, he kind of has does seem to have a bit of a, a good track record of of recruitment. Um, I know when he was over in the UK, they were they were kind of fairly high on him there. Whether that translates to what he does at the Dragons, um, yeah, I guess you don't want to have too many too many cooks kind of spoiling the broth. So that's going to be one to keep an eye on. Of course, it's the Daily Telegraph, so it's uh, it might not it might not necessarily have much truth to it. But uh, yeah, that is certainly what is being being reported there. Nathan Brown, uh, a chance of coming back as a, a potential list manager involved in recruitment. 
uh, there with the Dragons. Uh, if we focus back on uh, the Dragons board, there was a bit of news last week after the, the Craig Young uh, stuff that uh, Ben Cray has replaced a longtime uh, Dragons board member, Peter Black, on uh, on the board of the, the Red V. So I was uh, quite quite happy with this decision, Kurt, um, when I heard it. I think Ben Cray, we've kind of had him on the podcast. He's one of our, our stings uh, to, to kind of separate our ad breaks here on the podcast. So obviously very high on him. I think he was a, a, an excellent footballer, but I think uh, besides that, he's had a wonderful career in business and um, he's been, um, has, has a lot of business acumen and um, seems to be a very smart, switched on guy. He's, he's young. He's not going to have fresh ideas. Of course, there's going to be those fans that think that, well, it's another job for the boys. And maybe it is. Maybe that, maybe that is the case, but, but I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I think anytime you get younger at board level, surely that's got to have some kind of benefit for your club down the track. Yeah, and I think Ben Ben Craig would certainly understand the plight of and frustration of fans and some of his ex teammates, and he would have his own ideas on where he'd like the club to go. I was I was a little bit skeptical at first, like some people out there that may have thought, okay, Ben Craig, he's a former captain of the club, he's on the board now, um, you know, wink, wink. But it, just looking at his LinkedIn before we we went on air, he he founded the um, Athlete Education Foundation in two thousand and twelve, or co-founded, sorry. He's been several years with Shadforth Financial Group. Mm. Um, this might be a good call in the end. Um, th- th- there's a lot of po- um, positive things you could say about this, Jack. Yes, he's an ex-player, but certainly I think he he understands that if he wants a long-term future in football administration, he can't just he can't just be you know pro club and 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 you know pro his colleagues and and. Mm keep repeating the same mistakes of the, the people before him. The people that rise to the top in, in football administration, I wouldn't say um, don't listen to other people because obviously, you know, you know, boardrooms can be just as cutthroat as, as the football field kind of thing and just as vicious. So I think he is the right kind of guy because he's been retired long enough um, that, that that he's had time to, to train um, and, and educate mm-hmm. himself and obviously go into the workforce but he also understands the fundamentals of the club, and I'm sure he knows where they've gone wrong in recent years. So I, I think this is a good thing. I, I think he's going to do a really good job, uh, and and I think he was one of those guys who was uh, to me when you used to hear him talk on that kind of stuff. He, he you know he he always looked like he was going to do something after yeah. the game. So mm. now I think it's a good one. Good call from the club. In further good news, that uh, was uh, earlier in uh, in the week, uh, Jaden Sullivan, he's uh, officially rescinded his leave request. Uh, so both him and Tyrell Sloan have, have kind of taken that off the table, which is, which is good news. And um, I would think if, if that has happened, Kurt, there's been some kind of concessions that, or there's been some kind of conversations between these young players because they're not just going to have uh, rescind a, a release request or um, the fact they want to potentially leave the club or get out of their contract early just because the CEO or, or, or upper management have, have asked them nicely. I, I would imagine um, you don't don't think you need to be Albert Einstein to put two and two together that potentially it could mean that either Hook's on a short leash or, or maybe he doesn't have um, too much longer in his reign as, as the Dragons coach. Would Is that how you would read into it with the fact that um, both these players have rescinded their release requests within the space of, of about a week? Absolutely. And this is some of the most positive news at the club in a long time. And I've been saying for months that these players, from, and this is just a fly on the wall, getting and looking at the situation, is that the players didn't feel any love and they didn't feel like they were part of the future plans or the immediate plans. They just didn't know where they were going. And then all of a sudden, last couple of weeks, someone's actually sat them down and showed some interest and said, no, you you guys are the future. We want you here. And that's all it took. 
And now they're both going to be there. They're, they're both going to see out their contracts. Mm. And then who knows? You know, they're obviously extensions and, and whatnot. Um, I believe Sullivan signed to the end of 2025 anyway. Yep. Really, really good. So I'll say bravo to the club. Really, really good. Sometimes you can get a bit negative and, um, you know, on podcasts like this, but congratulations to the club. That This was the, really, to me, the most important part of what the Dragons did you know, long-term, I'm talking long-term planning, keeping these kids and making sure they didn't lose one or two or three of them. Like, imagine, you know, a lot of Dragons fans are always talking about, you know, we need another big name in the forward pack and mm. we need another prop. But the first thing you need to do is 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 get the things out of the way that you can con- control. And one of the things they could control and get ahead of was being more proactive about looking after their, their rookies. And they've done that. So bravo to the Dragons. Imagine if you've lost them. I mean, imagine mm, the, the, that, the that uproar. Was the, that was the concern. So, no, so congratulations to the club. Congratulations to the CEO, everyone involved, and very, very um, happy for those players because, you know, they, they've spent a good chunk of their life coming through the system mm. now, the Dragons and whatnot. Um, they, they're, they're legitimate juniors, aren't they not, Jack? Yep, yep, oh, yep, 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 all from the South so, Coast, yep. So there you go. So they're born and bred Dragons players and they potentially could live out their dream and, and lead this club into the future and, and potential top fours and premierships and all that stuff. So well done to everyone at the club. So don't want to sound like I'm, you know, we're always bagging people out or being a little mm, bit too, Yeah, definitely. You know, so good, good on everyone involved and I'm very happy for, for fans like yourself, Jack, because it could have been a lot worse. We finish off our Dragons news and update segment uh, by looking at Bronx Goodwin. It hasn't been confirmed, but the mole from Wild World of Sports is reporting that a deal is pretty much done uh, that will make Bronx Goodwin the new coach of the Dragons New South Wales Cup side for 2023. He actually was the assistant coach for the Dragons Jersey Fleek side under Willie Tillow last season. So um, the last couple of seasons, they've done pretty well. They were coming second when the competition was called off due to COVID in 2021. And last season, despite a a bit of a, a loss of form where a whole bunch of players from the flag side had gone up to play reserve grade. Um, they end up coming in fourth place, won their first semi-final against the Tigers and then eventually went down in a close one against the Penrith Panthers who went on to win that competition as well. So no shame in, in losing there. So I, I think initially I was a little bit critical about it. I, I thought, yeah, the, the son of Lord's head good and maybe it is um, a job for the boys uh, appointment. But I think with Bronx having kind of come through that Jersey flag system in terms of coaching and now gets a shot uh, at the first uh, at the uh, at the New South Wales Cup system, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and hopefully he can kind of harness some of that those young players that junior talent that's coming through because I think it could be a pretty exciting side if the likes of Halle Finney and maybe Jaden Sullivan and Torrell Sloan could be playing down that level it could be a side that could be exciting to exciting to watch maybe a little bit thin on forwards but certainly a high on quality in, in the outside backs and in the attacking positions for the Dragons that'll be an exciting one uh, to watch for 2023 if Bronx Goodwin does indeed um, become the New South Wales Cup coach for the Dragons next season we also need to do the who am I question for this week and uh, the Who Am I for this week is a player that represented both the Illawarra Steelers and the St. George Illawarra Dragons uh, in a career that spanned eight seasons um, and uh, included 153 games. This particular player was born on the 9th of March 1976 down in Wollongong. Uh, they stood at 189 centimetres or six foot two and also at a playing weight of 103 kilos. They uh, started their career in 1997 with the Illawarra Steelers where they played uh, 37, gra- 37 games and four tries 
tries over the 1997 and 1998 season, including playing uh, in the Steelers' last standalone game against the Canary Bankstown Bulldogs uh, at Wynn Stadium in 1998. He was also part of the Foundation St George Illawarra side and uh, played uh, in that 1999 side and also played uh, in the 1999 Grand Final uh, where he went on to play 67 games across three seasons at the Dragons, 1999 to 2001, scoring seven tries, and then left to join South Sydney who rejoined the competition. They weren't part of the NRL in 2000 or 2001. He rejoined South in 2002 and played two seasons there, playing a further 36 games and seven tries and finished his career in 2004 uh, with the London Broncos over in the English Super League for 13 games and a couple of tries, uh, finishing with a total of 153 games and 20 tries. He played um, multiple positions, but he's one of those probably durable players, could play in the second row, could play up front uh, in the prop position and also lock, but was probably mainly Kurt used um, as, a, as a bench player uh, for the Dragons with the sporadic starting appearance. Uh, I don't think it's an overly difficult one, the Who Am I this week. Have you got any ideas of who you're thinking this might be? Oh, I can picture him in the South Sydney TV Week jersey. Mm, the TV does Week have, jersey, does, yeah. Does he have a big ticker? Um, oh, I, I don't know. You've kind of stumped me there. I'm assuming so. It, it's got something to do with his last name, maybe? Yes. Like, Cool. All right. Yeah. And the one the one clue I will leave with you guys, because uh, we've got an interview coming up next, so um, we'll be announcing the Who Am I at the end of the episode, is, and I don't know if many fans knew this, but this particular play in 2000 uh, got into a fight, a, a physical altercation with Lance Thompson, the great late Lance Thompson, at St. George Lee's Club. Um, so this picker player was fined $5,000, uh, and Lance Thompson was fined $15,000. Uh, Lance Thompson later came out and apologised to, to the fans and, and also to the club. So I think it was in the car park of St. George Leeds Club. I, I only found this out a, a few years ago, but I know... Taj I know, Mahal. Yeah, I know a lot of avid fans will have remembered the the stories of that, and and, and it certainly came out in the media. Um, it seems like something like that would... would that would be the cherry on top of the cake for this this current Dragons regime, but um, it is it is something that might be the clue that uh, helps you get the who am I. Uh, this week on the Red V podcast. Time for us to take our first uh, break here on episode 145. Delighted to be chatting with Jeff Armstrong next on the podcast. He's the author of the Spirit of the Red V books. We chatted with him last year for part one, and this year we're chatting with him for part two, talking about uh, some of the great stories in this fantastic book uh, that detail the years from 1967 through to the current day. He talks about the, the, the great Billy Smith and Graham Langland's combination, even despite the Dragons being uh, relatively thin on quality in that side, being able to make grand finals. Uh, Bass Babes, the, the success of the Dragons in the 1980s, as well as what Brian Smith and David Waite were able to do in the 1990s to turn the Dragons around multiple times and get them to three grand finals, as well as the 2010 Premiership and also leading to the current day about the Dragons. Looking forward to chatting with uh, Jeff Armstrong next here on episode 145 of the Red V Podcast. You're listening to the Red V Podcast, Jack Clifton and Curtis Woodward guiding you through all of the off-season news about the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Well, it's exciting to have author Jeff Armstrong on the line to talk about his latest instalment of a book. You might have remembered a little bit earlier this year and late last year we had Jeff on the program to speak about Volume 1 of the Spirit of the Red V, a century of Dragons Rugby League. Well, most recently, Jeff has finished uh, Volume 2. It's been now released in the stores and uh, it's certainly one that you want to go 
out there and grab. It uh, culminates with the years of 1968 through until the current day, 2021 history of the St. George Dragons and also the St. George Illawarra Dragons. And Jeff's been kind enough to give up a bit of time this afternoon to chat to us about the book, chat to us about the process and also give us a few little tidbits of information uh, about uh, some of the stories and yarns in the book that might encourage you to go out and get it as part of a Christmas present with Christmas only a couple of months away. Uh, Jeff, thanks for jumping on the Red V podcast this afternoon, mate. How are you going? G'day, Jack. It's really good to be back. Absolute pleasure to have you, Jeff. This has obviously been a long process, this Spirit of the Red V, not just Volume 2, but Volume 1, um, which which I know we spoke about um, earlier this year or, or late last year uh, here on the Red V podcast, and we kind of shared stories about the, the, the I guess, the creation of the St. George Dragons, the early days of, of, of that club, and, and obviously culminating into the 11 premierships in a row, which so many people know so much uh, about. But jumping into Volume 2, it's a, it's a little bit different, 1968 to to 2021. Obviously not as much success in terms of premierships won by, by St. George, but I, I guess to, to, to kick off our chat, what was that process like? Um, not only um, writing volume two, but incorporating volume one. I think it was something like 300,000 words. It, it sounds like it's been a pretty wild journey, Jeff. <laughs> in a sense, it's almost been a lifetime's journey because <laughs> uh, I've been following the Red V since I was a little boy. And uh, so, and, and in a sense, Volume 1, which took the story up to 1967, you know, was a story about a club that, you know, made the finals just about every year and then, mm. you know, from 56 to 66 won the comp. So, Volume 2 was a different story in that regard. The, the team was still very competitive. We almost forget, given the, what's happened in recent years, that the, the Dragons made eight grand finals mm. in the 30 years after 1967. And uh, they won a couple of comps in the late 70s. But for me, it was a different process because I'm now writing about the heroes of my youth. Yeah. And I'm writing about seasons that I have witnessed myself. And um, so it was still a hell of a lot of work to, you know, cut through all the, the gossip and rumours to get to the facts. But um, with a lot of research and talking to a lot of wonderful people, um, I was hopefully I've been able to put the story down on paper uh, in, a, in a definitive way. What's the process like as an author when you are covering so much ground like you did in, in the second volume? You're obviously going through to current day, uh, and that, that covers, I believe, 52, 53 years. And there's, you could probably write a whole book on the uh, like Harry Bass Babes, the St. George sides that won premierships in the late 70s. You could write a whole book on the, the success of Roy Masters in, in 83, 84, 85, and Brian Smith under uh, the, the Dragons under Brian Smith in the early 90s and the Super League War and all of that was so much ground to cover was it was it difficult what's that process like when you've you've got so much stuff that you can write about but you can't necessarily write half a, half of the book on on a particular year or a particular era with the dragons no it's it's, it's really a case of trying to nail what is really important maybe the best example of that is the super league years because there have been two excellent books written on super league mike coleman wrote a book mm. on super league which was published in 1996 which essentially told the story of from the, the Blitzkrieg in 95 when News signed a whole lot of players and then he took it up to the Birchett um, court case and then Steve Mascord has written a, a terrific book, Two Tribes, yeah. which covers 1997. So I I can lean very, very heavily on the work of, of people like Mike Coleman and Steve Mascord and also you know authors like, um, we'll say Andrew Webster, who wrote a, a terrific biography on Jack Gibson, and he he ghosted Mark Gasnier's uh, autobiography. And then there's the work of Ian Heads, who did the uh, uh, history of St George up to 2000. 
So I am leaning on the um, the shoulders of a lot of people who've done a lot of work before. I'm also we're also blessed that the game has been so well covered by a succession of you know of, of leading journalists you know back from the days of the Tom Goodmans and Alan Clarksons mm. and Peter Berlingosses through to the, the the journalists of today who I don't always agree with but they they certainly work hard and they cover excuse me they cover the game in you know such extraordinary detail. And then if you marry that with uh, conversations with people who were there at the coalface, um, mm. it's more a case for me as author. I've got an amazing amount of material and it's trying to cut through to work out what is really important. From 1968 to 2021, there was, I don't want to say there wasn't um, a lot of success because there was. When you look at the win-loss record, when you look at the semi-finals and, and, and you touched on it just before, Jeff, there's a lot of history with, with the Dragons post-1967 or post those uh, 11 premierships uh, in a row. But in terms of winning premierships, there was just those two uh, premierships in the late 70s, and I, I'm sure Dragons fans after the 1979 decider against Canterbury wouldn't have thought it would have taken another 31 years uh, in the form of St. George Illawarra to, to win another premiership in 2010. I know it's probably a difficult question to, to answer, but what can you put your finger on in terms of the Dragons not having that success of winning more premierships uh, despite being, I guess, a regular fixture in, in semi-finals football and making grand finals as well when you look at the, the 1980s and especially the 1990s where they made four deciders and, and and didn't win any of them? I think it varies. I think in some cases it's no more complicated than bad luck. Mm. Uh, in other cases, I think uh, maybe the, if I look at a side like the, the 2005 side, I think sadly there was just a lack of a killer instinct in that side. I, I think players themselves have conceded that. And it was a lesson that was well learned when they won the comp in 2010. Um, but sometimes it's just bad luck. The St. George side in 1984 and 1985 could quite easily have won those two competitions without doing anything different. Mm. And, you know, this, in 1993, I remain convinced that if Jason Stevens hadn't broken his thumb in yeah. the first minute of the 93 grand final, Brian Smith's team wins the comp. And certainly in 85, I've spoken to people, I've watched the video, I was there on the day. I will never understand. Graham, Kevin Roberts's decision to penalise Graham Wynn rather than Peter Kelly. It was a mm. crucial decision which turned the game. And I think that that day, I, I just don't get it. And then you've got the... I understand how that was made. And it turned the game. And you've got the ridge tackle and uh, or non-tackle, Nathan Brown on, on Matty Ridge in the 96 grand final. So there's, there was a few contentious calls uh, involving Dragons yeah, no, teams, no, Jeff. No, in, that, in that case, that was a contentious call. But the difference between Manson's call in 96 and Roberts's call in 85, mm. I don't think Manson's call uh, turned the game. It was, it was very significant, and I'm sure it was a mistake, but I think Manly would have won anyway. And that's not to me. I actually think St. George's achievement in 96 in making the grand final could even be the greatest achievement in the club's history. Because mm. what David Waite and Mark Coyne and the players did that year was phenomenal. Uh, but 85, that was a, a different situation as far as referees' calls goes. And uh, it, it's a tragedy because it meant Roy Masters never won a comp. Yeah. Uh, it's a tragedy because the club that year won, all, won the minor premiership in all three grades, won the major semi final in all three grades. It would have been totally unprecedented to have, if they'd won the three grand finals, uh, you know, plus the club championship. And they did it emphatically that year. That, that was a just an amazing achievement mm. uh, and every person involved in the club in 85 they were you know 
a millimetre away from achieving um, absolute greatness. For those people that might be listening, their, their interest might have been piqued with some of the stuff you already said about the, the, the book, Jeff. Are there a few uh, other stories or, or tidbits of information that you really enjoyed researching or writing about in the book that might tip them over the edge to, to, to purchase this in the not-too-distant future? Oh, there's so many. Um, what can I tell you, Just a really little one. I contacted Wayne Bennett during the writing of the book and put a few questions to him. And Wayne was pretty ambivalent with a lot of his replies, but I put to him the question, is there one player that stands out? And he just came straight back, Dean Young, bang, just like that. Yeah. And it was a, just the respect that he had for Dean Young, for Dean Young's courage, the fact that he uh, was selfless, the fact that, that he fought back from a, what should have been a career-changing uh, injury. Mm. That, that's one that really, really stayed. That, that's probably the things that stayed with me the most, the respect to certain individuals. I remember speaking uh, to Steve Edge about... Uh, Steve Edge uh, came into grade football in, as a reserve for third grade late in the 1971 season. Yeah. And in 71, St George made all three grades in the grand final and Steve Edge was a reserve for third grade. And Steve told me the story of at the end of the third grade, which they lost, Jack Gibson, who was the first grade coach, came into the room and he basically said, you know, well played fellas, bad luck. Uh, I want you all on the bench for reserve grade. Mm. And then I want you all on the bench for first grade. And that meant that the third graders, including the ultimate rookies, this young hooker, Steve Edge, had to walk across the career ground from the Sheridan stand, which is where the lower grades changed, into the first grade dressing room. And they were all part of it. And Steve yeah. spoke of his, just the awe he felt seeing Billy Smith and Graham Langlands and Barry Beath and Peter Fitzgerald, these guys changing for first grade. And as Steve said, I've just got it here. He ends the story by just saying, Jack thought it was important. He cared about everyone as an individual. His philosophy was that we were one club, that there's no distinguishing between third grade and first grade, that we were all in this together. And that stayed with me as something, I think, that captured all the premiership winning sides, all the great competitive St. George sides, the St. Bath Babes, the St. George sides, the mid-80s. Mm. Brian Smith's sides, uh, David Waite's teams, Wayne Bennett's teams. There was a real sense of we're all in this together about all those sides. And I think that is the common thread in the St. George story that goes right, right back to the 20s when Frank Burge came to the club as, uh, on a big contract as Captain Carriage. And he taught St. George how to win. And he taught St. George that if you're going to be successful, you have to be in that together. And it's funny because that's a, to me, that's a St. George trait. Mm. But when I was researching the 1992 season, I realized that that was a really strong characteristic of the Steelers team in 1992 yeah. when they went so close to making the grand final. And they had all those players like uh, Paul McGregor and uh, Brett Rodwell and the like. And, and they were a really tight group. And that, to me, is the trait that has to characterize the Dragons forever. Because if it does, I think that's one of the things, along with the history, uh, that can set St. George Illawarra apart. And I think, hopefully, if there's one lesson out of the history that I've documented in the book, it's that that's what St. George Illawarra has to be about. Rugby league is very different today than it was in, in the 1980s and 1990s uh, where St. George were perennial semi-finalists for, for the most part. Do you think there's anything that the... I guess the current Dragons regime or, or any anything that us fans can can learn or take from those success, successful eras, even if they were 30 or 40 years ago, Jeff? Um, 
I, it's funny with rugby league. I, you know, I'm an outsider, but I actually have a theory that it's one of those situations where the more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm. I think the attributes that were crucial in winning rugby league games in the 1930s and 1940s are still true today. The game itself is very different. The the, the stars of today just blows away what they can do and their strength and their athleticism. But I think footy is still fundamentally the same game, and it, it, it's. I, I just think that, yeah, the when I I spoke to different people, one question I always asked was, "What does the spirit of the Red V mean to you?" And mm. because, and that was because it was the title of the book. But I actually believe it's a, it's a real thing that spirit of the Red V. A lot of people said different answers. A lot of people talked about the eleven premierships in the history. But the two answers stood out for me. One was uh, Dr. Jenny Saunders, who was the St. George doctor for a yep. decade through the 80s. She said to me, it was the pride the players felt in the district. That's what it, That was the first thing she thought of. And I, th- and I then put that to a few people, and I think that was true. The players felt a real pride in the district, and so did everyone involved in the club, because a footy club's not just players. The footy club is coaches, it's officials, it's uh, fans, it's volunteers. It's juniors, it's everyone. And back in the days when St. George were really strong, there was a real pride in the district. And I remember because my, my parents, who you know, I got raised in Sydney, and they went mm. down and lived at Kiama. And I remember among the people, there was a real pride in the Illawarra. The people there felt a real pride, and they felt a real pride in the Steelers. And so I think that the thing that we need to learn from the St. George history, and probably from, and from the Steelers history too, is that what can set this club apart is the pride in the district. Now, the thing is, with the joint venture, the St. George district has changed dramatically. But it's been, it, it's changed many times. In, in 1921, the St. George district included all the territory that we now think of Canterbury. Yeah. It included the Sutherland Shire. And it was perfectly logical when Canterbury came into the comp in 1935 that St. George would lose territory because the St. George district had grown. I mean, so the St. George district was rural when Saints came into the comp in 1921. So by 35, it was natural that St. George would lose some territory. And by 1967, it was natural that St. George would lose some territory with Cronulla coming into the comp. But by 1999, with demographic changes and the St. George juniors having shrunk, it was just as natural that the St. George district would expand. And so in that sense, the joint venture was a very, very logical thing. But what that means today is that just as in St. George's heyday when it was winning comps every year and the St. George district, you know, was one thing. Now the district, whereas previously it went from Arncliffe to the Shire and then Arncliffe Mm. to the George's River, now it goes from Arncliffe to Batemans Bay. And the challenge for everyone involved in the club, in my view, is for us all to think as one. And it's very important that the team's called St. George Illawarra but we just have to think of ourselves as one district in the way that St. George thought as one district um, back in the day. And the other thing, the other response that I'll never forget is when Graham Wynn said to me, I said, what does the spirit of the Red V mean to you? And he just said family. Mm. And um, I think that's true. And again, it stresses the point that a footy club is not just the players on the field. It's everyone. And we're all one family. And that's the other thing I think St. George, this St. George Illawarra of today we have to get back to that sort of feel. Actually, and when you think about it, the, the Bulldogs are in the same situation. Yeah. They used to be known as the family club. In recent times, they haven't been a happy family. And if they want to get back to the top, um, I think that's the thing that they have to aim towards as well. 
it's always great to, to look at the past and especially when you look at the past and the history of a, of a great club like St. George and St. George Illawarra, uh, Jeff, but w- I'd love to, to kind of get your thoughts briefly on, on what you've made of the, I guess, the current regime or the current predicament with the Dragons and the fact that uh, there's this been a lot of talk in the media about, yeah, players asking for releases and that kind of stuff, but I even just the success or lack of success on the field, a 12-12 and record in season 2022, made it four straight wins, uh, four straight years, pardon me, uh, without playing finals football, which is now a record for for St George Illawarra what have you what have you made of the, the I guess the the current predicament at the Dragons uh, in 2022 well look there's no doubt by St George standards the last decade hasn't been great as far as the the way the team has gone but I actually probably more optimistic than a lot of people I found a lot of the um the media kerfuffle over the last couple of weeks a bit a bit overblown mm. um I know I accept that, the, the, you know, I think the club probably made a mistake scheduling their presentation night when they did, but the club's admitted that, and I think that was an awkward situation. Yeah. Uh, you know, I heard your podcast last week, and you, and you were getting very fired up about <laughs> different things. Oh, there was, um, the club is not going well, but I think there are good signs. Yeah. And I, I, I must confess that with these young players who, you know, talking about seeking releases and... and I think the comments made by uh, Craig Young when he said the players have got to learn and have an opportunity to learn, I think they were really valid. And I can think back to numerous uh, examples um, in in the club's history. Uh, I, I take an example. At the start of 1959, neither Johnny Riley nor Reg Gasnier was um, guaranteed a first-grade spot. So Reg Gasnier started the season in reserve grade. And when Johnny Riley dropped out injured for a week and Gasnier came into this team, Johnny Riley had to come back through reserve grade. Mm. But they were great players and they fought their way back first into first grade and then into the city side, the New South Wales side and the Kangaroo side. Um, in, in 1977, Mark Shulman started the year in reserve grade. Harry Bath picked Lee Pomfret at halfback for yeah. round one. Um, what's another example? Steve Morris in 1979 started the year in reserve grade because Harry Bath picked Ken Carney. Again, essentially, he's challenging Steve Morris to force his way in the first grade, and Morris did that in, in such style that by the end of the year, he was uh, he was the, the inaugural Gallium Player of the Year. So, you know, there are numerous examples of that. I, I also think one thing that has been the first the two thousands, the first ten years of the joint venture, the the district, and that being mostly the Illawarra district, but also the St. George District, produced this extraordinary run of great young talent. You know, you just reel the names off, um, uh, you know, Cray, uh, Hornby, Cooper, Gasnia, Nightingale, Morris, um, Riles, Bailey. These are all young players from the district. I'm not Mm. sure the district has done that in the last decade in the same style. And I think that might have been the biggest problem that the club has had over the last decade. I mean, unfortunately... We just haven't produced the juniors. But these things go in cycles. Uh, I just uh, had a look only recently at Penrith's record between 2005 and 2015. Mm. It's not pretty. I think, I think I've got a hearing on it. 2005, 10th, then 12th, last, 12th, 11th, second, but out, of the, out in straight sets, 12th, 15th, 10th, the preliminary finals, and 11th. So they made two mm. finals you know, what's that, 11 years. Parramatta are the same. Um, what's, it is true that St. George of the Warra haven't been that great over the last decade, but if we, 
a group of youngsters, uh, juniors can come through over the next two or three years. Now, that puts a lot of onus on the recruitment. It puts a lot of onus on the, the people working mm. in the juniors, and it puts a lot of uh, onus on the coaches and officials to encourage these young players through. But at the same time, the young players have basically got to force their way into the side. And I'm, I'm really not sure if, if Sullivan or Sloan, if they quite did that uh, last season. To, to finish off, Jeff, if there's there's people that are maybe thinking for a Christmas present that they they want to want to get your book, where where uh, where is your book available? And um, yeah, if there's uh, if there's any other um, selling items you you want to send their way, uh, feel free to do that here. <laughs> Mate, it, it's the book's now available. Uh, dare I say, to use a cliche, wherever good books are sold. Mm. Um, I do know that it's uh, on sale at Dimmicks in Wollongong at Wollongong Central. And I also know it's on sale at QBD at Hurstville, in Westfield at Hurstville. You can also get it through the District Club's website, which is hang on, St. George, stgeorgedragons.com.au, or you can get it through the uh, Stoke Hill Press, the publisher website, stokehillpress.com, uh, or on online bookshops such as Booktopia, Dimmicks, um, QBD. Um, basically, it's everywhere. Um, it's a real challenge in the 21st century trying to get people to read books when they're mm. looking at their phones at Facebook and internet yeah, forums, yeah. and dare I say it, listening to great podcasts like <laughs> this one. But, but I understand that. It's, it's the new rugby league world. Um, but, you know, I, when I set out to do this book, you know, the first word got typed about four and a half years ago, and the ambition was to get the entire first 100 years of, of the Red V on paper, and... I think I've done that. Uh, I've got to say that one thing I was really lucky with with this book, there are some fantastic photos in it. Um, yeah, definitely. the 70s and 80s. Uh, I, I found a, a photographer called Martin King, who's based in Wollongong, who had some absolutely fantastic stuff of the 77 grand final. Uh, so I've made a feature of that in the book. Um, and... Um, you know, I, I think it's a nice package, but I'm biased, but hopefully people <laughs> will um, will get out and buy it and uh, hopefully they'll enjoy it as well. It's a fantastic book, not only Volume 2, but also Volume 1. If you you missed out on, on, on Volume 1, that's also available uh, via all of the, the what uh, Jeff has just said us before. Some great history, some great photos, uh, some great yarns, and yeah, it is a, a very colourful history that St. George have had all through the years, but even uh, to the current day. So I would, uh, yeah, greatly encourage you to go out and buy that Spirit of the, Vol- Spirit of the Red V Volumes 1 and 2, uh, both available at all good bookstores. Jeff, thanks so much for giving up some time and, and jumping on the Red V podcast this afternoon, mate. Thanks, Jack. I really enjoyed it. Hi, I'm Ben Cray, and you're listening to the Red V Podcast with Jack and Johnny. Lovely to have uh, Jeff back on the podcast and really appreciate him giving up some time and uh, chatting to us about the book. Please do go out and get it. I know that uh, these days we, we seem to absorb all that information from social media and, and Facebook and Twitter and and forums and that kind of stuff. And But I think this is a, this is a wonderful book. Jeff's been very, very kind enough to send it out um, to me here at the Red V Podcast. I've, I've had a quick read through uh, some of the early chapters and it's been really, really enjoyable. Uh, I've pretty much finished um, uh, part the, the part one of the Spirit of the Red V. It was it's a fantastic book. It's really well written. Um, Jeff is is a historian of of the St George Dragons and the St George Illawarra Dragons. Knows so much about his rugby league. So would really encourage you to help him out um, and and also maybe get a, a an early um, Christmas present or birthday present for for that special p- person in your family that maybe is a, a massive fan of the Red V or even if it's a present for yourself. Encourage you to go out and get it. It's uh, it's a wonderful book. Has some wonderful photos in there. It's got a great cover. Um, 
please do go out and support Jeff and support the Dragons uh, by uh, purchasing that book. Almost time for this Red V podcast episode to end, which is a little bit sad. Before we do that, we do have some fan corner questions um, that are being going to be fired at us. But our first one is an audio question from Tim Boucher. And this is what Tim had to say to us here at the Red V podcast. Hey, Jack and Curtis. Hope you're both doing well. Um, there's a lot of momentum around uh, Anthony Griffin right now being on the outer. A lot of stories starting to leak out in the media. Um, you see a lot of guys taking swipes at him on the way out of the club and stuff like that. And it's starting to feel more and more like he might not be here uh, come next year, round one. My question for you guys is, uh, if you were betting men, which I'm sure neither of you are, uh, who would you put your money on being the Dragons coach round one uh, season 2023? Cheers, guys. So, Tim, asking us if we're betting men, who would put our money on for the Dragons coach in round one 2023? I guess um, uh, uh, looking at all the momentum that there's been in the media about yeah, Griffin and, and not being up to the job and his coaching style and, and I guess kind of suppressing the, the young talent and all of those those different things. I still think it will be Anthony Griffin. I, I, I don't think the Dragons... The, the, the Dragons management doesn't strike me, Kurt, as um, a group of people that like to take chances. Uh, I think Hook is a, they think is a safe option, and I, I would think they would they would stay stay with him unless something drastic was to, to really happen. Um, I've kind of heard rumours between six and ten games is, is what he'll get to kind of prove his worth at the start of the season, and I'd be very surprised if he's not there to uh, to name the Dragons side for, for round run 2023. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's almost untenable now. Um, but look, if it like we said last week and the week before and the week before that, it, you know, what if they are zero and six next year and then you know maybe they can go on a run. Zero and six isn't the end of the world, but it's certainly a shocking start to the season. And then you got to bring someone else in to to pick up the pieces. I, it's very interesting. We, we haven't really spoken about Griffin that much today, but it's, I'm going back to an article from Andrew Webster who has been very um, um, uh, outspoken about ever, ever since Griffin mm. got to the club. Um, and and here's, I've, I've just found a couple of quick quotes. And this is one from, from Jamie Soward, who is obviously a, a Dragons great, who played under Griffin at the Panthers. This is what he said about Griffin after Griffin got sacked. He said, at some stages throughout this year, and this is, I think, uh, I, I don't know if this is, so, so I think Seald was there, but anyway, um, the Panthers played with some of the most boring game plans in the first half that I've seen from any side and only started playing their normal style or the style they're comfortable with once they're behind and start mm-hmm. chasing points. And then Ben Hannon, Ben Hannon after um, playing at the Broncos under Griffin for four years, this is, I can't believe this quote, and, and I had to get this in somewhere at the podcast. This is Ben Hannon. Mm. It came to the point after two or three years of doing that style of game plan that he had, man management style as well, the way he did things, it was just amateurish. Yeah. That's telling from someone like Ben Hannon as well. Yeah, so it's almost impossible to think that Anthony Griffin's going to change his style to start next year. If they don't, I I, I can't see how he's there, and then the Dragons start again. So. Mm. Yeah, interesting situation. It looks like they're going to change everything else and prepare for Griffin not to be there um, rather than pay him out. 
Yeah, and there was that fascinating article as well, Kurt, from from um, Webster that I think dropped this morning on Tuesday morning, um, and I, I kind of uh, through the Sydney Morning Herald that I I had a bit of a read of, and and again he was quite quite critical, um, but but also kind of pointed out that yeah that the Griffin is a problem, but he's not the only problem at at, at the Dragons. So of course, one hundred percent. Yeah, and I think I think we kind of all understand that. But at the end of the day, it does come home to roost as um, as the coach. It's a results driven business, and you need to um, yeah need to need to be winning games. And I, I guess everything that's gone on with him, it's it's been the opposite of that. And there's been murmurs of discontent for a long time. So it is uh, it is very very concerning. Big thanks to Tim uh, for sending through his question. Our next one's from Philip Leishman on Facebook, and Phil has said, "Hey guys, surely the form of Harry Grant and Hunt for the Kangaroos proves that a creative nine is needed at the Dragons. Hunt needs to be." told to do it for the team in my opinion yep 100 and and i think uh, griffin's not going to be the one to tell ben hunt that he's uh ben hunt i keep saying ben <laughs> hunt uh ben hunt that um he's going to start the season at hooker but any coach in his right mind that comes in that club next year will see that ben hunt is the best option for them at dummy half when he plays red football he's almost the best dummy half in the in the in the in the world, I mean, if, if, I don't want to sound too silly, but Harry yeah. Grant's obviously ahead of him. Correct, creativity wise, he's he's ahead of Damian Cook as a dummy half. Um, so yeah, I I, I think like if push comes to shove and a new coach comes in and says names the the team on Tuesday and Ben Hunt is no longer at seven at nine, Ben Hunt doesn't he's not going to say, well, I'm not playing. Yeah, you know, so maybe it's it'll come to a point where it may take new a new coaching staff for, for Ben Hunt to finally become the number nine the Dragons fans want. Yeah, and I just think his comments where he says, oh, I'm trying to preserve my body, I want to play longer, yada, yada, yada. Well, I, don't, I think if he played nine for the Dragons, I, 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 I don't think he's – like I would not think that he would be an 80-minute hooker. He's not going to be in the middle for 80 minutes. They might He might play out in the field for 80 minutes, but I, I would imagine there would probably be some scenarios where you could interchange him and Jaden Sullivan a little bit. You could play him maybe be – he could be a 50 or 60-minute hooker. So I don't think uh, I don't think his longevity is in stake if he moves to, moves to number nine, especially with how quick the game is now and how tired some of those middle forwards get, especially – in, in the last 10 or 15 minutes of, of, of each half. So um, I don't know if his comments necessarily stick. I understand that, yeah, he wants to play seven, um, but I think in, in in terms of him benefiting the team, like we've spoken about the last few weeks, nine, I think, is is the role for him going forward. And it would be interesting to see uh, if the Dragons did um, get rid of Griffin, whether the, the, the incoming coach or the interim coach, whoever, would think along the same lines as Hunt and Griffin or whether they would take a, uh, take a bit of a gamble and, and throw Benny Hunt to nine. But I agree with you, Phil. I reckon that uh, that certainly is what the Dragons now. I think it makes the Dragons a more complete team if you've got uh, Sullivan at seven, Amon at six, and, and Hunt at nine. Um, Sayan Kaur has sent in a question. Um, Sayan always has really good questions, so thanks, Sayan. He said, in the chat with Luke Felsch last week, he mentioned how the team was just a great bunch of guys who recognised they weren't superstars, but just wanted to give it a crack. They made it all the way to the grand final. What's stopping that from the current team doing that now? Yeah, I guess it's a, a, a different story and, a, and a, you know, a, a different time as well. So I'm, I'm looking at this 96 team and, they, you know, they, they are, with all due respect to a lot of them, that some of them were, were past their best and, and some were battlers and, 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 you know, some of these names, like they just, they just tried their hardest every week. So different time, different scenario, different players. Um, the, the Dragons are in a rebuild. They've got a lot of juniors that they're going to be relying on over the next couple of years. 
It's an interesting one because it looks like when you look at the Dragons through 96, that was kind of like a final hurrah mm. because 90, they went in 97 in, in, the, in a split competition and were pretty disappointing. Um, 98 from memory. Did they get knocked out by the Bulldogs at Cogger in week one? Maybe. Yeah, they did. Um, 98 was a pretty inconsistent year. 97, it was, a, I think there was, was there 12 teams? It was a top seven and they didn't even make, I think Gold Coast Chargers made it in seventh place. And I think they beat, yeah, I think they beat Illawarra in the, in the first semi at, at Parramatta. What I will say yeah. about that, that Dragons 96, so I think that they obviously were, they were battlers and, and, and everyone that I've kind of spoken to as part of the podcast has said they were kind of inseparable, which I think certainly, certainly helps you um, as, as a playing unit. But they also had Anthony Mundine, who probably had up there with his season in 1999, one of the one of the, the best individual seasons I think I've seen from a Dragons player in 25 or 30 years. Like a try scored against North Sydney in the preliminary final where he kind of picked up an offload from Bartra and ran 70 metres. I don't think you'll see too many other 5.8s do that, uh, even in, mm. in the modern game. Uh, Wayne Bartram had probably the greatest game of his career against um, against the Canberra Raiders when they knocked them out in the first week. He was a Queensland player. Um, Mundine was class. Mark Coyne, who was a captain, was a Queensland and Australian representative. Noel Goldthorpe it was, a, was a fantastic a pinpoint accurate kicker and just a really good organiser. And then they had Nathan Brown in the hooker role and kind of some, some journeyman guys, well, not journeyman guys, but, but some veteran guys like Scott Goulet and Jeff Hardy. So they're probably fortunate that, yeah, I think they were probably one of those sides like Parramatta in 09, um, maybe the Tigers to a lesser extent in 05 that um, they were able to get on a bit of a run and, and, and they were able to play some consistent footy and it was a bit of a, a bit of a juggernaut. Probably the Cowboys in 2017 would be a, a side that would have been similar to what the Dragons did in '96, but I think it's a, I think it's a good question because I, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt that the players are are all close, they're all friends, but I think sometimes it's a different kind of bond when you when you sense that that you might be able to take things to the next level, like some of those sides we've mentioned um, did in the past, Kurt. Yeah, yeah, I, and I agree with everything you said. It, it, it's just I, I understand the pain, and, and and obviously you know Luke Felsch is you know seems like a good bloke, and 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 was a Kind of like a, you know, when the chips were down for the Dragons after 93 and all that stuff, they kind of relied on him as their mm. they go to prop for a while there too. So, yeah, look, I'll just go back to what I said. It is a different time. And, and look, I know it's really, really, you know, it's really dark at the moment, but, it, it, you know, what do they say? It's always dark, always darkest before the, uh, before the dawn. And mm. I, I still see good things in this squad. It, it, it's just the, the thing holding me back from saying that the Dragons can, can, you know, break the shackles and, and play footy is their coach. So, I yeah, agree. Mm. I, I, yeah, it's 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 hard not to go back and and look at good teams of the past. But yeah, I, I understand the pain of the fans as well. It's it's tough. A last question comes from John Young, and he said, uh, with the reference in today's article, that's uh, I'm assuming he's talking about the. Uh, the Andrew Webster article. He said, with a reference in today's article that Seraldo wanted to come to the Dragons because of the numbers in the Illawarra Juniors, what is the club doing to enhance quality playing and coaching within those juniors so they can attempt to be successful at the high grades in years to come? Well, John, I know they have um, implemented some more methods down at Pathways. So Willie Talau has moved from Jersey Fleet coach to being Pathways at the St. George Dragons um, for, for Harold Matthews Cup and SG Ball. And I know Russ Aitken is down there in Illawarra 
he's um, looking after the SG ball side, but also looking after pathways there. I have a feeling Sean Timmons might also be um, involved there. And, and I imagine that the football manager, Benny Harron, is is involved in, in some capacity. Um, I don't know if they've got anything in plan like the Panthers did, um, although they were fortunate to have football manager um, Phil Gould, who's probably one of the brightest minds in rugby league, to, to kind of head that. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if there's anything really concrete or specific in place. We'll probably have to get Ryan Webb on the podcast, which we'll try to do in, in coming weeks to maybe discuss through that or, or, or try and find it if something kind of does leak out in, into the media. Um, but I think there is some there is some solid players, maybe not coming through it as kind of 15, 16, 17-year-olds, which is a, a tad concerning. But you look at the Dragons under-21 side, I think a few of those will graduate through to, to being part of the top 30 for the Dragons, if not next year, maybe the year after. Um, and then there's certainly going to be a lot of those players that are going to get a chance to play reserve grade as well. And you never know what, what can happen, I think. Uh, one thing that that following and 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 doing a lot of commentary for for New South Wales cricket has has taught me is that just because a player hasn't been identified at 15 or 16 or 17 as an absolute superstar doesn't mean they can't kind of come through the grades and, and play reserve grade and, and get an opportunity. I mean, look at Andrew Davy who was at Manly this year at Parramatta previously that I think made his debut at the age of 27. So I think there's I think there is some good players coming through that Dragon system and it's a huge area as well. Um, I know it's been a bit of a, a barren run and we spoke about it on the podcast a few weeks ago, Kurt, where I think we're, us as Dragons fans are probably used to the, the success of those those pathways because from effectively the start of the joint venture in 99 to kind of 2010, 2011, there was a bunch of players that just came through. Like, I guess you look at that that era before the Dragons won their, their initial premiership, um, I guess, 03, 04, 05, 06, 08, um, 07, 08, 09. There was a lot of really good players. You look at the, the fact that uh, in in the midst of, of kind of five or six years, you'd, you'd had guys like Trent Barrett, Sean Timmons, Ben Hornby, Dean Young, Matt Cooper, Mark Gasney, Luke Bailey, Jason Riles, um, and even kind of lesser players that, that made an impact, guys like a Clint Greenshields, guys like an Aaron Gorell, um, uh, Wes Nagama coming through the St. George system, um, and then Kyle Stanley. Later on, um, who was a bright spark for the Dragons for a couple of years, like the, I think we'll probably be really, really blessed, and and it kind of comes in ebbs and flows with your with your junior systems, with so many other good clubs around, and and, and I guess clubs identifying talent earlier. Sometimes uh, the players the Dragons think aren't going to go anywhere are poached by the clubs, and they end up being quite good players, and and the ones that we've kind of um, uh, earmarked as fu- as future stars, it doesn't quite work out. So I kind of feel like it's the the law of averages; it evens out eventually. So it might have to just kind of cop these, uh, th- these, these punches on the chin for the next few years, but I don't doubt that there is going to be some, some good players that are going to come through and maybe we might be able to produce some of those Gaznias and Coopers and Hornbys and, and Barretts, the guys that, that might end up playing for 200 plus games for the Dragons and, and representing New South Wales and representing Australia. Yeah, agreed. And and, and look, the, the Penrith Panthers at the moment, they you know a bit of tall poppy syndrome in Australia, of course, but you know, what the Panthers have done, they've always had a big nursery, but I don't think they've always appreciated it. So mm. when Phil Good came along, he's like, right, let's let's set let let's set some pillars and let's, you know, make sure that we're not losing our best to other clubs. And and now we are seeing other clubs like West Tigers and, and other Dragons and, and other clubs like that are looking at the nurseries and saying, We need to do more. We we need to to keep these players. And and I would without looking and Googling um, in you know the, the the modern era, most of the teams that won have won premierships. The, the vast majority of the players in those winning teams, that the seventeen I'm 
talking about. Yeah. Probably juniors in one way, one way or another. Like, obviously, some clubs, you know, you've got to bring in a player here or there. But, but all these clubs, like I'm going back, you know, Newcastle 2001, um, obviously the Roosters is, there's, there's, you know, the Sombrero thing there. But <laughs> they, 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 but even with the, the, those Roosters gun teams, yes, they brought in Morleys and, and stuff like that. Fittler had already been there a long time. But they had guys like Flannery and Crocker and, and guys like that who were Queenslanders but were brought down um, and played lower grades at the Roosters. So the, the, the investment in rugby league and, and future planning has never been a strong point for rugby league clubs. But now we're finally seeing the proofs in the pudding with Penrith. Other clubs are, are starting to, to copy that. Uh, uh, the Dragons are, are kind of there in a way because they've, they've got four guys, Lone, Sullivan, Mamone, Ramsey, Finay. You've got some good juniors that have already come along and, and they will be leaps and bounds better in the next two years. It's not all doom and gloom, but yeah, I'm really happy that the fans are asking a lot of questions, particularly Dragons fans are asking about catchment areas. Yeah. And it's promising, even though the Dragons didn't get Serrato, it's it's promising that, um, that that if it is true that he wanted to come to the Dragons or, or the thought of the Dragons because of the catchment areas, particularly in the Illawarra, that's a good sign. You didn't get Serrato, that's fine. Um, for Serrato, I think... As a first-time coach next year, I think with the the plays the Bulldogs already have and the the plays incoming to that club, I think a, a business decision for him was to go mm-hmm. to the, the Bulldogs. So I don't blame him for that. But um, I think it's positive. I think the Dragons are, are, are slowly kicking and screaming going the right way because they have no other choice. They just don't have another choice. Yeah, I definitely think it's uh, it's in an in, in an uptick, and if they were able to get uh, a future coaching appointment right, who knows? Who knows what the the future could could hold um, hold for the Dragons? So yeah, it is it is a kind of exciting times in the future, and we just yeah encourage Dragons fans just to continue to continue to ask questions, not necessarily be be aggressive or not necessarily be negative, um, but um, oh, I guess you can be you can be negative if you want as well. But uh, yeah, continue to ask questions of 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 the Dragons of what's happening in junior catchment areas and and, and emailing. Um, a Ryan where we're emailing the Dragons and, and just, yeah, keep, keeping the club to, to accountable because I think that's the responsibility of the fan base as well as getting on and supporting the club and and supporting the club at games and, and that kind of stuff. I think it's, yeah, it's important for us to continue to to keep the club accountable regardless of, of what's happening um, at the club. And I think when, when they've kind of had a bit of a barren run like they have over the, the last decade, I think it's important, even more important for us to, um, us as a podcast, us as a fan base to, yeah, continue to ask questions um, and there needs to be responsibility there at the Dragons who's probably been lacking um, in uh, in recent years. So a really good question there uh, from John and, and a big thanks to everyone that sent in their questions to us and you can all, always send them to us at redvpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Kurt, time for us to announce the Who Am I for this week on the podcast. I know that uh, you've uh, you've uh, got the question, uh, you got the answer, you got everything, mate. You want to announce who the Who Am I is for this week, mate? Oh, you can do it if you want, Jack. I'm always giving away the answers. Oh, that's all right. Okay, you're very kind, Kurt. The Who Am I for this week is a former Illawarra and St. George Illawarra back rower, Andrew Hart. Uh, so he was a, a, a pretty integral part of those Dragon sides, um, in, of St. George Illawarra sides, that is, um, in the early period of the joint venture. And yeah, who could forget that uh, that punch-up with Lance Thompson? I don't know what happened. I don't know how you could ever want to get on a punch-on with Lance Thompson. He seemed like he was the nicest guy ever, but maybe, uh, yeah. I don't know. Did Andrew Hart, did he have, did he have a kind of tinge of red hair as well was he was oh it- maybe but I, I can't remember that but and and dragons fans you could probably help me out with this and this is a little little cheap plug for Campbelltown as well 
What's it? Someone, one of the Dragons forwards punched. It was a Friday night game at Campbelltown, and it was a dirty old match. Yeah, that was filthy. Yeah, that was a filthy 2000, game. Two thousand Friday night footy. Someone punched him with Hopper White in the corner. I don't know if it was Andrew Hart or Terry Lamy, maybe. One of them really got stuck in and had a good crack. So <laughs> someone can remind me if they like, but uh, it was one of them. But, um, yeah, he could certainly – I know he can fight. I've yeah. seen him fight on the field. So uh, Lance Thompson must have had a, a couple in his belly if he was taking on Andrew Hart because he was 6'2". I mean, it doesn't sound that big these days, but he was a big boy back in back in the day, Andrew Hart. So Yeah, well, I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be starting a fight with someone that was 6'2", 6'3", 103 no. kgs. <laughs> no way. Not unless I had Curtis Woodward in my corner. Oh, no, then I have to call me mates. <laughs> I'll get them all down here. With the, give, give me 15 minutes. We'll be hiding 100 jacks and we'll wait for the cards to show up. <laughs> but, yeah, an, an important player for the Dragons, and I guess that kind of uh, reinforces what we are kind of talking about earlier. Sometimes you need those uh, guys that, that love the club, that are hard workers uh, and no-frills players that can do a job for you, and, and hopefully a few more of those uh, pop, put their hand up and their heads pop up for the Dragons uh, in future years. Kurt, uh, pleasure to have you on the podcast once again, mate. Thanks for your hard work. I enjoyed talking about the Dragons again tonight. Thank you, Kurt. Speak to you next week. Uh, big thanks to Kurt Woodward there doing another fantastic job here on the Red V Podcast. Big thanks to all of you, the fans. Uh, we don't take anything for granted. We uh, really appreciate all the engagement we get on social media. We uh, we see all the all the messages you send us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and really do appreciate you um, Yeah, listening to the podcast week in, week out. We appreciate during the regular season. We appreciate it even more uh, during the off-season. I know there's other things you guys could be doing, but it just shows how much you love the club, how passionate you are for the club, and, and we really appreciate that. And we, we love getting to bring this podcast to you each week. It's so much fun, even despite uh, the, the rough times, despite the barren times and the awkward times. And you really do hope there is an uptick in fortune for the future. But a big thanks for to all of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode 145 of the podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday night for another episode, bring you all Dragons goodness. But until then, let's go those mighty Dragons. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.